This is Jane Hardwick Collins, founder of the School of Shamanic Womancraft. Connecting to our inner dimensions. Inner reviews of transformation. When and how my life changed. Rewilding women with their stories of growth and transformation. Reclaiming feminine knowledge and power. Thank you for joining us. This is important and deep, serious work. Your podcast host and story guide, Ali Kate. So calling in and welcoming you all to episode five. So much gratitude if you've listened to the other episodes and you're finding connection to this podcast. So thank you for listening to these stories. It's so, so important that we share and we connect and that we hold together the space and the safety to share story. And that's exactly what Sequoia and I observed and talked about in her inner review is safety and finding safety in in and amongst the fear of showing up and what that looks like. So we look at Sequoia's journey starting in 2010 when she first uh, showed up when she was 38 weeks pregnant and how the deep, deep, deep calling brought her into the work that she's doing now. We explore blood rituals, blood prayers, blood rites and all the sacred feminine goodness that you're just about to hear right now. So enjoy and don't forget to leave the iTunes rating. So big welcome, Sequoia. Thank you so much uh, for your presence on the School of Shamanic Womancraft podcast. And it's an honour to have you here. And we are here on a Sunday uh, we're coming into a new moon and so big welcome to you thanks Ali happy to be here and have a chat great so we want to explore uh, some things with you today and mostly which is what this podcast feels into is your journey with the School of Shamanic Womancraft and the work that you're doing now and the transformation that's come from this and so you were the second group of women uh, back when yes. it was the School of Shamanic Midwifery and yes. you did the second round in 2010, which you called it before SSM2. Tell me about yeah. SSM2. How <laughs> did you connect with SSM2? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, um, I saw, I can't actually remember where I first saw the sort of info about the school and it was somewhere online but I can't remember where or how and I just knew I wanted to do that and I looked into the course and it was full for that year so I said okay well I'll I'll sign up for the second year and then um, 
uh, I fell pregnant. So I had this whole thing of thinking, oh, what am I going to do? Like, do I want to do this course or do I want to have a baby? And am I going to be able to do them both? And so it was my second baby. So I felt a lot more confident than if it had been my first, but I was still a little bit unsure of how I would manage doing, you know, a course with a lot of travel and having a little baby. And then, but I really wanted to do it. So I felt this really, you know, really strong, deep call to do the course and to be there. And then I looked at the dates a bit more closely and it turned out that my baby's due date was basically on the opening gathering. And so I remember emailing Jane about it and kind of saying, oh, I don't know what to do. And she said, well, why don't we just move the date of the gathering? And so, so she did. And so I came along to my first gathering at about 38 and a half weeks pregnant and basically thought that I was going to have a baby then and there at opening gathering. But instead, I birthed a drum and uh, birthed my baby a few weeks later and have basically been involved with the school ever since. So it was pretty, uh, pretty magical experience. And yeah, it was really, really special actually to, um, to come pregnant and to, you know, to be able to bring my daughter to all the gatherings. So she came with me for the whole year and it was amazing, actually. It was really special to, to be able to do that. It was hard. It was definitely hard to, to bring her and to, um, you know, be a part of all the processes and the work that needed to happen. But it's such an amazing, held and welcoming space for mothers and babies that it's like there was no question of whether or not I could, I could do it with, with a baby. Like, of course I could. You know, I just brought her in and... Um, that was that was it. it was just perfect and like Jane always says you know that the babies are the VIPs in the circle and that's how it felt you know it was no question of whether she could be there or not be there or it was just this is why we're here actually for them mm. so it was pretty amazing can we try have that as my intro <laughs> yeah I mean she your baby she was part of this journey as were you and yep. to be held in that space is to be connected yep. and to feel safe and I mean that's amazing in itself for someone to just receive that it was pretty amazing and I, I remember so I had only just met these women so the circle of women that I journeyed with there was I think there was nine of us and um, a couple apprentices and Jane and so we'd only known each other for that first couple, you know, like two weeks or something by the time my baby was born. But we had already kind of ha really just had this beautiful connection in that I could call on all of them when I was in labor to drum for me and to think of me and that that just felt so natural and so normal and fine. And there was none of that kind of, oh, I don't really know these women. It was like it was like a homecoming coming home to that circle. And it just felt like this, these are the women who are here you know, for, for me, for us, and that I'm here for them. And so we just had this beautiful connection and that, that really was an amazing way to, um, and an amazing uh, connection and support group to actually have a baby in. It was in quite incredible. So I'm really lucky, actually. Yeah. And, and I decided that, that it wasn't going to be too much to do both. <laughs> sure. So yeah. going back to, you know, that strong pull, and feeling into what drives us together, what pulls us together mm. and, you know, how you came to see this space and wanted deeply to connect with it. What, what do you feel in your life at that time before you saw this, before you were like, I have to do this and, you know, 
graciously the date got moved for you and the space was held and you know you came into it like a homecoming you were you were held in your birth and um with your baby what what in your life do you feel is that pull where does it come from I kind of feel like there's always been a pull in me to be with women and to work with women in some capacity and I suppose in my like you know teenage years and in my early adulthood I didn't really know what that was going to look like but there was definitely always a yearning you know so for example, when I was in university, that looked like um, volunteering at a women's center and doing women's studies and, you know, kind of doing that sort of more academic sort of way of gathering the women. And that, that was always really interesting, but it never fed my soul, you know. And then as I kind of, you know, moved through into, you know, working life and traveling and doing all that, there was always just this pull This looks like, I want to be with women. I want to work with women. I want to do this work. Like it was a strong calling, but I had no articulation around it. I didn't know what that calling would look like or how that would come to be. And I studied a lot of healing work. So kind of working individually one-on-one with people. And that was lovely and wonderful, but it just wasn't giving, you know, it wasn't feeding me in a way that was sustainable. You know, it's just like, well, where's the, um, where's the holding for me, you know, like if I'm holding other people, who's holding me? So it's like kind of missing, there was like a missing element all of that time. And I think it was with the birth of my first child that really made that clear that it's just like, wow, holding women through these rites of passage is actually so important. So I went through my first birth feeling quite unsupported. I, um, I fell pregnant with my partner and then we moved from New South Wales to Queensland. And so I didn't have any continuity of care in my pregnancy and didn't even know where I would be having the baby. And then when I finally figured out which birth center I would have the baby at, you know, I had to do shared care and I, you know, I was all over the place. I didn't really know anyone where we moved to. So it felt like there was this real lack of support. I mean, my partner was great, but, you know, that's not what I was, what I wanted. I really wanted that, you know, woman woman support. I didn't actually even know that's what I wanted at the time, but that's obviously what I was craving. And after I had him and had a, you know, pretty hard time in those early sort of months of parenting, um, that really, really brought me to this, this feeling of being like, women shouldn't go through this stuff alone. Like, you know, this is something that needs to be um, supported no matter what, you know, so childbirth or those, you know, those other rites of passage. And so I did, I kind of drew on my healing work that I was doing before, which I wasn't doing at the moment because I was new mom with this little baby and it just moved, you know, moved states and was a bit, you know, what I don't know what I'm doing um, and decided to look into doing doula work. So I did some training as a doula and felt that um, the drive for that was to ensure that if women wanted support that they would have it that they wouldn't be left alone in that space you know that there would be someone someone who was there for them you know like um specifically for them I had a couple instances when my son was born of you know just really questionable things said to me in that space um he was born in the water it was this beautiful natural birth but he had some trouble breathing afterwards and so that was really scary as a new mom to kind of be like my god my baby's like stopped breathing and he was taken away from me and had you know had to have some stuff to kind of bring him into his body and um 
I was really scared when that happened and was really upset and didn't know, like, you know, I didn't know what was going to happen to my baby. And I just had a couple midwives say things that felt quite dismissive, like, oh, you know, what are you worried about? He's fine. And, you know, but like, I didn't know that. I'm sure for them, looking at it now from my perspective of knowing what, what things that they must see in their jobs. I get it. You know, I get they must just be like, oh, this baby's great. This is awesome. But as a new mum, you know, I was like, I felt really dismissed and really um, like my worries about him or my feelings that had come up in that space were just totally just not listened to at all. And so not heard exactly, just not heard. And so I really wanted to be able to provide just to be, just for women to be heard really. And and whatever they, they said and, and, um, Training as a doula felt like a, a way to be able to do that. And so I was doing that for a while. And while well, my son, you know, as he was growing and so privileged to be able to support women in their births, like it was amazing experiences to be able to be with women and to be invited into their birth space. You know, it's like an absolute privilege that I, I've had. And, um, and then this calling kept going more, you know, like this calling of like, well, who's, you know, who's holding me is always, is always coming back. And also like just this desire of, of, I don't, I actually don't know what it is, a desire just, just to be with women, just to be in, in a circle, in a space where I can, where I could, um, just, just be with them. And so I had kind of come across Jane's work, um, several times since I had moved to Australia um, but hadn't really like fully connected in, and then I because I was because I was a doula, I went to one of her pregnancy workshops, and that's when I met her. And because I had this thing of going, well, if I want to commit to this whole year journey, like you know, I want to meet this person who's running it. You know, that seems like a good idea. And then when I met her, I knew that it was going to be amazing. So then I basically signed up on the spot and was just like, right, I'm in, I'm in. Mm. So and then that's that was the start of. Um, the Four Seasons journey for mm. me. It sounds so, yeah. so divinely just like a flower unfolding each petal and that each openness yeah. just gave you more light and more wisdom and more connection. And how did you find with your second birth being held? Uh, oh, as, it, yeah. It was completely different. So I, I had a, a home birth with her and it was just this this such a easy beautiful um ecstatic actually birth just full of joy um was so happy after she was born I was on a high I was basically like right I could have another baby right now that was so amazing I just had this absolute ecstatic experience of it and I had um at the actual birth my partner was there, my son was there, a really good friend of mine was there, I had a doula and I had a midwife. So I had like this whole team and um, I had done the work previous, you know, I, I worked really hard on the things that had felt traumatic with Jara's birth, my first child's birth. And I had worked really hard on unpacking all of that and working through, you know, what, what was missing and what did I need to do and all of that kind of stuff. Um, to be able to get me to the next birth. And I did, I had to actually work really hard to do all the things that I wanted because it was kind of like, if I wanted to have, if I wanted to call in women to have a blessing with, with me, like I actually had to do the work to connect with those women. I couldn't just expect that people would, you know, randomly find me, you know, like I had to actually 
do like put myself out and connect with people. I had to, um, you know, I had to do that stuff. I had to do the research to know that, you know, what happened in his birth around the breathing was this and wasn't necessarily going to happen with my next baby. And I had to do the research to know that, you know, whatever, whatever it was that I was considering or worried about or had a fear about, you know, it was actually on me to uh, learn about it and um, figure out in my own self whether that was um, how I was going to be with that, you know, was I ready? To, did I really believe the things that I was fearing? Was I ready to let those fears go so I could go into my birth space totally unhindered? And the biggest fear that I had was that my second baby would have a similar thing where they wouldn't breathe and that that would, that would be like real, a really scary experience. And I just had to, um, you know, I had to really look at that fear and realize that, well, they might, they might have a similar experience, but I, one baby went through that and they're actually completely fine. And so if this baby goes through that, you know, the likelihood is that they'll be completely fine and there's actually nothing to fear in that space. So having to really do the work of examining that stuff and letting it go and preparing myself, you know, for the birth. So I, I had this really um, beautiful, I had a really beautiful pregnancy. It was pretty cruisy. And my, I went to Canada at one point, and my sister threw me a baby shower there with all my friends in Canada, and that was really fun. I'd never had a baby shower before, and, you know, we played all these, like, crazy baby shower games, and it was really, really lovely. And then when I came home, I had a blessing way with my friends in Toowoomba where I lived, and that was just this divinely beautiful, nourishing experience. And I had a virtual blessing way for myself for all my friends that, I, that don't live anywhere near me. Um, because I, you know, grew up in Canada, so I have a lot of friends over there, and so I just did a lot of, I did everything basically, like that you could possibly do to feel supported and nourished in your pre-birthing time, and you know, I had this altar, the size of my kitchen table, you know, of all the beautiful potions and lotions and crystals and whatever you could possibly, I don't know what you want to do with them during birth, but they were all there in preparation and all the affirmations and all the flags and like a gazillion candles and a birth pool. I mean, I was so prepared. And then when I actually had the baby, like I didn't even leave my bedroom. I basically stayed on my bed and, you know, had her right there in a fairly quick period of time. And it's just so funny to me to realize that actually all I needed was what was within me, you know, this, this um, knowledge and trust that actually you know, I can have this baby and I don't actually need all of that external stuff. All I need is to trust myself and here she is in this beautiful, ecstatic, you know, amazing birth that we had mm. together and yeah, mm. so special. And did you get to enjoy all the awesome stuff after? <laughs> yeah, after, yeah. yeah. A little, all the candles are lit. I just never even saw them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was quite funny. <laughs> it sounds like a luscious face after to go and snuggle up with your little babe and enjoy Definitely. all the candles. Well, we just, and, you know, we just yeah. stayed in bed. It was just, yeah. it was just divine. It was just so beautiful to just go. We don't have to go anywhere, you know. We're just already here and, you yeah. know, my son was four four and a bit and he kind of came in he's like oh it's a baby and then he's like okay I'm bored I want to go do something else and you know it was just so normal it was just like this totally normal just like yep just had a baby and whatever mm. now we're just at home and we just do what we do and it was just divine it was a beautiful experience yeah wow. so it was a really wonderful way to come into my motherhood you know my second initiation into motherhood which you know my first one was pretty bumpy so it was it was pretty amazing to um, get to experience uh, 
yeah. what it feels like to come into motherhood, not being shell-shocked, not being, um, you know, feeling really let down by people or feeling really unheard by people or feeling traumatized, really, from, from my experience. And to be able to go into my motherhood, like, really confident, really full of joy, really, like, calm. It was, like, a totally different experience of having an infant. So I'm really grateful for that. Mm. And finding that lesson from within that everything you need yeah. is, yeah. So it's one been. of the processes yeah. that women do when they journey with the School of Shamanic Womancraft is they go through this deeply intuitive process of birthing a drum. And yeah. I haven't met anyone that's been so moved by this process. And... I just want to go back to when you were birthing your drum. You were 38 weeks pregnant. Did anything come up for you in your birth story that played out into this birth of your second baby? With my with my second baby? Yeah, so you were pregnant. Yeah. You were making yeah, a drum. Yeah, I was pregnant making a drum. <laughs> you were working on your own birth story. So I, I, remember, yeah. um, I remember getting to a point with my drum making when I was pregnant that I, I remember sitting there and looking at the instructions because at that, at that time we were stringing the drums in this, in the four directions. So you kind of, it's, it's not, it's not complicated, but there's a really having to figure out the pattern. So it's, um, there's a, a, many different ways of stringing a drum. And one of the ways that we use now is more of this weaving method where you kind of weave in and out as you go. And, and when I made my first drum, it was this four directions method, which is a bit more like, like having to follow this pattern. And I remember sitting there and going like, I, I don't actually, I can't figure this pattern out. I don't even know what this is. How this drum is going to be terrible. You know, having this whole, you know, experience of, of, um, stressing about it actually like just sort of being like what am I going to do how am I going to make this dress going to be terrible how am I going to make a drum and you know like kind of sneaking little glances around me it's supposed to be in your own process but I'm like sneaking little glances around me going my god that person's already like strung like so many things and they're on their way and I'm still looking at my instructions going like what the fuck is this instruction I don't even know what I'm supposed to be doing <laughs> and um and and really sort of having that first struggle and then what happened is that I found my flow with it and just went, oh, this is actually so easy. This is amazing. Look at my drum and, and strung it all. And when I got to the end, there, there was a point where I thought, I'm, I feel like I'm going to like have a baby. Like I'm having Braxton's contractions. This is really into, I can't sit here any longer. If I have to sit in this spot for one more second, I think I might lose my mind. So I think I just left the drum and went and had eight. And I, I, I didn't really come back to making it all perfect on the edges. And, you know, I kind of look at my drum now and kind of can see the bits where I just went, I've, oh, I've had enough of trying to manage this drum. But what's interesting in my own birth story, you know, that, that came up in that was that um, my, my mom always tells my birth story um, I'm the second born, and she always tells my birth story like by starting with my sister. So, you know, it sounds like my sister's birth was, you know, quite an intervention and quite a traumatic birth. And so she'll say, like, oh, your sister's birth was, you know, this, these terrible things happened to her. And, she goes, and then your birth was so easy. And, you know, it was this wonderful, like, easy. It was only six hours. And I did all this Lamaze breathing, and it was so, like, it didn't even hurt, and it was great, da da da. 
And so I kind of hear that story and think, okay, so my birth's really easy, like, that's great. But what, what always comes first is this complication, this, oh, this was, this was like this terrible thing. And, and what that's kind of set up for me in my patterning is like, I just have this anticipation that things are going to be really hard, like, like making my drum, like I sat there looking at the instructions going, I don't even know what I'm supposed to do with this. Like, this is going to be way too hard. Same thing with like, like trying to crochet or trying to knit. Like I'd look at other people doing it and went, there's no way I'm going to be able to do that. It's way too hard. And then when I actually start, so if I actually put my mind to it and do the work, you know, like actually sit down and, and do the work that's required, it's actually quite easy, you know, the, it starts to flow. And then my creative process is quite, is quite easy. And so I, could, I couldn't really see that playing out in the moment. Like I, I was way too consumed with, you know, thinking that I was about to give birth to my baby at any moment. But um, in looking back on it, like I totally can see how that's happened. And that's come up with every drum that I've made since then and often giving me new little pieces, you know, like that, like another little piece will drop in or another little memory will come or there'll be something from, you know, my birth or something from doing craft or some type of creativity that will just arise in that process, which will give me another little piece of information, which is, you know, another little piece of knowing myself and, and how I do things in the world and how that can then, you know, assist me, you know. So, like, you know, what's, what's the point of all this? You know, what's the point of knowing how you're, how you're born or seeing how it plays out in a drum like? But actually, the whole point is so that you can see and know how you do things, you know? And then so you can start to use that information as a way to support yourself and to help yourself to birth other things into the world or, you know, um, bring your gifts through, bring, bring your work through, whatever that may look like. So it's been a pretty amazing process to see it happen with drums, and I've I have several, so I've gotten to do it a few times. <laughs> mm. It's so interesting. As you as you were talking, I've just got my hand over my heart because there's such a similarity there that uh, it's just it's like something's gone off in my head that's connected with your story, and it, this is it's just really blowing my mind at the moment because I've got such a similar <laughs> story from my mum. Uh, my brother, my older bro- brother's birth was very traumatic and I always was the redemptive birth that was yeah. easy and just got on with it and um, but not necessarily connected to um, being wanted, if that makes sense. And mm. my, so that it just really brought that up for me too when you were talking and this is how amazing this work is because it's always unfolding is that there's a tendency Absolutely. for me to look at things sometimes and get really like, oh, this is going to be like, you know, I'll instantly put it into it's going to be too hard, da-da-da, until I get into the flow of it and then I surprise myself by, because I just did it and got it done. But it's that always pre, because mum used to do that with um, my brother. She would be like, oh, you know, I wanted my tubes tied and I didn't want any more kids and it was, you know, we both nearly died and da-da-da-da-da. And that was always my mm. preference to then my birth. Yeah. <laughs> really interesting. So yeah, I'm just in so much gratitude because there's another little <laughs> insight for me to uh, look at things because yeah. it never and came up for me when I was birthing my drum in that way. So, and that's, that's yeah. the magic, actually, of this work is hearing other women's stories, you know, and seeing what that triggers in us or what memory comes in us or how does that relate 
into our story to give us that pace, you know, because that that's actually the magic, and that's this magic that we call, you know, circle is shaman when we do this work. So circle is medicine woman, circle is teacher. So it's not just that, like, yes, there's a teacher in the course. Yes, there's a, you know, someone who's holding the process or, like, leading the process. But ultimately, when we're sitting in circle and we're having our share in circle, so, you know, passing the talking ball woman by woman, telling her story or telling her experience of what it is, like, she's actually bringing this information to all the women who are gathered there, and they're actually all there for a reason, you know? Like, they're actually there for each other, and they're going to bring the pieces that we all need to hear for whatever it is for us that's arising, you know, for our next bit of healing, for our next piece, you know, along in our journey. And I see it over and over and over again, and I just completely trust in that magic. I often hear women say things like, oh, I meant to enroll in the course three years ago, but I've only just come now. And I, I don't know why I didn't come three years ago. And it's like, because this is actually the circle that you're meant to be in, you know, and really fully trusting that, you know, really fully mm-hmm. trusting that, like, whenever you're meant to be in that space, you will be, because there's there's magic, you know, yeah. there's magic afoot. And it's working, you know, and it's real. And we can't see it necessarily, but, you know, it's we can feel it and it's there. And that's the kind of stuff that happens, you know, like us having this conversation right now, and you getting to hear that piece for your own birth story and journey, you know, like we could have had this conversation tomorrow and it would have been completely, could have been a completely different thing that came up, you know? So exactly. Yeah. Really trusting. Yeah. You know, it's just, really it's trusting. The art of trust. Yeah. 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 And it's huge. The art of trust is huge. That's one of my intentions that I set every year. So every year for the course, we set intentions for ourselves and we, like all the women will, write their intentions and then the idea is is that we read everyone's intentions to ourselves like you know every day or you know to really give charge to those intentions and every year you know one of my intentions is just about trust because it's the hardest thing to do and it's actually most the most necessary actually just trust trust the process trust each other and trust ourselves yeah, exactly. It's especially when we face challenges in life where where it where you know, we're in the depths of the river or the murky water where we we have our hand out and we need that trust that we'll be held yep. and we can be safe yep. and we can find that within ourselves. Which is very tricky in a you know, when we face these challenges. Um, yeah. So for me, I just tap back into being in circle with the women, and instantly I feel those feelings of safety, of the feeling yeah. of being in circle when I did my journey. And I think that's one of the biggest gifts. And I, I'm sure with the other women that I talk to about this, just like you said, there's that sense of trust and that sense of safety that our stories are held. And they are valued and heard and we are seen. And to tap back into that, it's it doesn't end, you know. It's a journey. It unfolds forever. And we can always yeah. just tap back into that space and feel held. And that's what I practice yeah. now in my life. And it's one of the most connected feelings that I don't think I've felt for a long time to just do that so yeah. quickly. Yeah, to tune into that and... Yeah, so... Well, the circle's always there, you know, even when you're not physically in it. You know, that that energetic 
sort of uh, thing that we were that we've been sitting in. It doesn't it doesn't go away just because we're not physically in that space anymore. We know we have these deep connections with the women that we sat with, especially when you know, like you've heard all their stories and they've heard yours. It's just it's like that doesn't go away just because a course ended or because the year's finished or whatever, you know, it's that, that, that's always there. That's always there to draw on. So like what you said, just connecting back in and remembering that is that just, it brings the magic straight back in. Oh, it does. It does. And that space of curiosity in each other is such a beautiful space to hold together where we're just curious about each other and wanting to nurture that. Um, yeah. It, it's so deep. It resonates so deep and, it's probably something that words probably can't do justice to, but it's there and that's one of the gifts that um, most of us talk about after leaving a journey with the School of Shamanic Womancraft is that ability mm. to tap back into that. So, yeah. Yeah. You are listening to the School of Shamanic Womancraft podcast series with Ali Kate. Subscribe to our podcast via iTunes and all good podcast players. So when you left, well, not left, because we just, we just talked about that. <laughs> <laughs> when when you, I finished my year. <laughs> yeah, when you completed your cycle. <laughs> yes. <laughs> how, did, how was it for you? you ha, how old was your your baby? Would have been nearly one? just about a year. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me, yeah. can you remember or tap back into that feeling for us? Yeah, I remember. Um, she was she had turned one by the by the time we finished. I think just like a week before our closing gathering or something something similar to that. And I remember um, being at that being at that gathering and, um, you know, Jane kind of talked to, talking to us about, you know, what are the, what are the further opportunities? Like, you know, what can you do or what, what dreaming is there to, you know, keep doing this work. And so one of the, one of the dreamings was, um, to apprentice. So that, that was one of the things that was, uh, you know, on offer to, to do. So to do what the other, the women who were currently apprenticing, which is to, go back and do the Four Seasons journey again and again and again and um, support Jane and learn how to uh, be a teacher and hold that space and hold that program. And and then lots of other dreamings too, like doing red tents and bringing red tents to different festivals and doing events and all, like, you know, all sorts of awesome stuff because there's this real, um, there's this real sense of urgency that comes when you finish. It's just like far out. Like we've just done this amazing journey and really seen the power of this work and the magic of it and the um, the necessity of it and the urgency to actually like bring this to everyone so that you know our daughters don't have to grow up in a world where they feel less than you know. Um, so there's this real urgency that comes. And so it's like, yes, I want to do everything. And um, so I kind of uh, continued 
doing some stuff, like supporting some event stuff and supporting some red tent things here and there. And so, like, you know, my baby was, like, in that, like, getting into that toddlery space. So kind of going, well, I can't really do anything super full-on straight away. Like, I couldn't apprentice straight away because I'm like, she's too little. I can't bring a baby and do this again. Like, I don't want to have to bring a baby again. Like, one time was amazing and but I'm like uh watching her like start to walk I was like no it's all actually just too hard and she's a pretty um wild child so <laughs> um that was probably one year was enough and to to bring her into a circle although she likes to come now if she gets the opportunity and um so I just kind of did those little things on the fringes for a couple of years until she was old enough to leave at home basically and once she was old enough to stay home while, well, you know, I went away, then I started my apprenticeship. So that was when she was just about three or about three, I think I started. And that, that felt like an okay time to, you know, to, to leave her so she could, um, you know, spend time with dad and mm. her brother and do whatever. And I got to go and do my thing. So I was, um, I was a stay-at-home mom with both of my kids. So I, you know, I didn't go back to work after Jara was born. And, um, and then, you know, my partner was studying and then started working and we had to move a lot for his job. So it was kind of, it made far more sense for me to just be, you know, there with, with my baby and then with my second baby and just really be nurturing them and holding down the home front basically, rather than trying to, you know, I couldn't go back to the job that I had before because it was in Sydney and, you know, it kind of felt like this going, going back and finding a job. Like it just felt so hectic with these little people that actually really needed me. So that's what I was doing. And so it kind of by the time she was three, I was like, okay, mama's gone going now to go and do things that I need to do. So it felt like a, it felt like good timing in that space. Yeah. To carve out a bit of time for myself self, and to, yeah. you know, to start that, um, you know, that, that, that they're actually okay with their dad like there's actually no problem here you're actually completely fine <laughs> yeah I think that's really important to highlight uh the the honoring of you during that time as a mother it was lucky because my like my partner was studying and and Jara was just a little baby so it, it was an impossibility to to work like there's no way he could have he was studying medicine so there's no way that he could have you know, looked after a baby and me work. So it was just like, yeah, that just, sounds I was just, massive. Oh, that's just how it was. And yeah. it, was pretty, it was pretty outrageous. <laughs> I think back, I'm like, how did you survive that? Um, but, but yeah, it did feel like, you know, you do feel that external pressure. You do start to feel that pressure of like, well, your baby's this old now, like you should really be going to get a job now, especially when, you know, like your partner's not really working yet because they're studying full time. Like someone should be out there earning money. And it felt like, well, like I could, you know, like I'm fully capable of, of getting a job and, and working, but like, what do I want to do? Like, what's actually my soul calling here that's going to, you know, be something that I, what's worth taking time away from my children for, actually, is kind of what it came down to. And I realized that I can say that from a very privileged position, you know, in that, you know, we got government support so my partner could study and so that I could be a stay-at-home mom. And, you know, there's a lot of kind of... uh financial backwardness that comes through that through that process um of you know of not 
having a you know job for 10 years means that you don't have super for 10 years means that you're like way back in the game when it comes to lots of things and sometimes I look back on that and think gee was that the right decision but ultimately I have to look at my children and go yep actually it was because they're pretty awesome you know lucky and and privileged to be able to do that so I'm grateful you know grateful that that was how it flowed because it could have flowed very differently you know if, if my partner hadn't decided to study and we stayed where we were, maybe I would have gone back to work and maybe it would have been a completely different life experience, you know? So again, it comes back to that trusting that this is the path that we're on and wherever this takes us is what's happening at the Mm. moment. Sometimes too, I feel privilege, the word can be quite harsh or uh, Mm. judgy. And I like to think of it just, you know, calling into your situation. It's that you used your right and responsibility to do the work um mm. you know to serve the greater good and yeah yeah I just find and that, that um, yeah that that calling too I mean I, like I remember when I remember when Jao was how old would he have been he's only little like a year or something like that and I had this I have a really good friend that we were both living in Brisbane at the time and we were doing a lot of magical workings together. So we did, um, we would have a circle every, oh God, I feel like it was almost every week sometimes. I can't even remember, but it was just the two of us. And we would do these, you know, magical things together. And we both, you know, new moms, she had her, she had two little boys really close in age and I had Jara and, you know, we, we would just carve out this weekly or fortnightly time, just us doing our magical work. So having a little circle or doing a ritual or doing a spell or doing something together. And the other times we would just hang out with our pack of wild boys and like let them run wild. But like, you know, this few hours we would just be like no children. (laughs) And that was just the way it was. And, um, you know, in that, in that time, I, we did a ritual together where um, we dedicated ourselves to the goddess. So it was this really beautiful thing that we did together because we both felt like it was really important to be really clear in what what we were doing this ritual work for, what we were doing this magical work for. And I'd been doing, you know, magical stuff, you know, since I was a kid, basically, and did some, like, over the years, lots of stuff on my own, reading um ritual, whatever that looks like, just on my own. And then I found this beautiful woman to do this work with. And it was so awesome to me to be like, wow, someone who like fully is on my wavelength about how, how I see things. We were very much on the same page with a lot of this stuff. And so we did this together, you know, we did this dedication and, you know, I realized that it was, when I look back on it, it was after doing that, that things like really solidified for me and like what was I going to be doing with my life so it wasn't long after that that I decided that you know doing the doula study would um, be something that I would like to focus on and then that was the real catalyst for this push into the life that I'm living now and I remember uh, so when I did when I started my apprenticeship my first year of apprenticing I got to do my vision quest because obviously I had my baby when I did my four seasons journey so I didn't get to do my quest or my wilderness solo um, with, with her. So I did that on my first apprentice year. And we went back to the same uh, piece of land, 
the year after, so my second apprentice year. And I went back to my site because I just wanted to visit it. I wanted to visit that place that I had had this, you know, amazing, um, life-changing, really, experience. And it was it was pretty profound to go back to it and see it a year later and, you know, what did it feel like to go back to that place? And, and I remember um, being at the tree, so it was under this magnificent tree was where my site was, and I remember going back to that tree and, like, sitting with it and really having that moment of rededicating myself, you know, like speaking it to the trees, speaking it to the earth as clear as anything that I dedicate you know, my life to serving her, to serving the goddess and, and doing whatever it is that, that is required of me to um, follow that path, really. So when I look at what I do now, um, that's pretty cool. <laughs> I kind of think, wow, that's a pretty awesome path to be, uh, to be walking on. And it's, it's funny that sometimes we don't notice these these things that we do until we look back and really think about it, you know, like I hadn't remembered that, that thing that I had done with my friend, you know, it wasn't like that was in like the forefront of my mind, you know, like, like, of course I remember it. I remember it now when I think about it, I can even remember almost the words that we said, but you know, it's not at the forefront of my mind when I do things, but when I sit down and go, Hmm, you know, how has this trajectory of my life taken shape and I think about these things that I've done along the way it just it makes perfect sense to see it that way and to see that beautiful timeline you know of, of the choices that we make and the things that we do and how we end up where we do you know what's our what's our journey essentially yeah and such uh, divination that you can look back uh, into the past and see how it's all unfolded for you and really mm. go it it's not me it's me being held and me being called uh which is so powerful when you feel into what calling is uh, yeah, and being absolutely. open to it mm. and even too when you were talking about getting together with your friend how it was such it when you spoke then it it seemed like you know it seemed like church it was like we just do this each week mm. and I lately have had old, old tears. They seem to be coming from a deep space of feeling fragmented and, you know, wanting to connect with someone and they've got this on and, you know, da-da-da-da-da and just really trying to call into something that's deeply like this is important and this is what mm. I do no matter what and really calling in that village of women um, physically uh, in that yeah. sense, you know, and it's interesting uh, what wisdom and what can come out from just being with and being together and making that a regular connection to be with your women and to hold space yeah. and whatever that looks like. It can, you know, yeah. it can just look like anything as long as we, we come together. It's so, so important. So important. Mm. And that commitment of showing up, you know, because yeah. we, you know, we live these crazy busy lives and I, I hear it and I see it. And I, I mean, I live it. I live a crazy busy life, you know, and it's really easy to just go, oh, it's really actually too hard to go to that or it's really actually too hard to 
um, commit or to even reach out beyond texting, you know, to actually like make a phone call as opposed to just like punching in some letters. And it's like, it seems to be getting harder and harder to do that because we just have these ways that can keep us disconnected, but it just takes, like you actually just have to show up, you know, and that's, that's the, that's just, that's the art of it. It's just going, I'm going to just show up for this, you know, show up for each other because we're not just doing it for ourselves. You know, we're doing it for for other, for our women or our families or whoever it is, you know, like we're actually showing up, you know, to, that's the beauty of circle, you know, where we're, um, there is no circle with just one person, really. Mm-hmm. It, needs, it needs the collective to exist and to be and to create that energy and that magic, you know, like there's a very different feeling of practicing magic or witchcraft solo and in a group, you know, like it takes that collective energy and and not that there's anything wrong with doing things solo, but there is a big difference when you bring in the collective and you have the energy of the group to to draw on and to um, create, you know, um, bigger things, really. Yeah, and it all comes back to that space of trust and knowing and the showing up process. Feel the power of being held and supported and the right and responsibility of why I have to show up. It, it just gets easier each time to do it, to yeah. show up. And all those little blockages that my, my loyal soldier or my ego puts in place, uh, they, they start to disappear little by little. Mm. And I feel the openness. I feel the trust. I feel safe. I feel held. I feel supported. I feel at one. I feel oneness. And I feel connected. Um, yeah. And it can be so scary for so many women in particular to to show up because that their wounding could is around the feminine. You know, it's around being, you know, let down by women or it's around being betrayed by women or it's around like whatever that might be around because we have this collective wounded feminine um, wound in us, you know, of the ways that we've betrayed each other over millennia. You know, it's it's when we when we talk about patriarchy, it's not just you know, men doing bad to women. It's actually about women also doing bad to women. It's the system of oppression mm. that we're all living in. We're all complicit in, you know, and and so so many women have this massive wounding around that. And so to come and sit with a bunch of women in circle and like talk about your feelings is terrifying for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I have such amazing like gratitude and more than gratitude, like awe, actually, that these women have actually shown up. Because when you hear their stories and you hear that where that wound is, you think, holy, like, the fact that you have come is amazing and you are so courageous to be here and to be sharing, even though you are quite possibly, you know, terrified to be here or have some level of, you know, apprehension or, you know, uncertainty or whatever, whatever those things are. So it's um, it's it's amazing when you when you know that and when you can really think about that, it it kind of brings this almost like next level of like uh, awesomeness to the fact that circles happen and that that we are here and that we can like bust through those wounds, knowing that they're old, knowing that we can heal them, knowing that we can get to the next level and that we can get to the healed feminine and actually just still show up for each other, even though there might be a part of us going like, no, I just want to like not do that because it's really scary and it feels unsafe. And then when you get there and go, actually, this is safe. This is a safe space. This is, you know, 
then it just starts to, then the magic can flow, you know, because you feel safe. And ultimately that's what, what's needed for that to happen is, you know, safety. Yeah. Jane and I spoke about that in the first podcast we did is uh, the openness that comes from feeling safe. And uh, I just aligned so beautifully with what you said because there's so much fear and I had it myself. Um, mm. the first day I rocked up and I had the blockages and um, then comes the judgment and all that and the self-judgment and, you know, for me it was like, what have I got to offer? These women are so amazing, like, you know, they can do this, mm. they can do that. I can't even, like, put two needles together and sew a thing or, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and by the end of it, I just embraced my kooky artwork and I felt so creative <laughs> that I – I had just no judgment of – and I was in so much awe of everyone else's b- beautiful creations and I just had yeah. no judgment of mine and I just loved my kooky way of being creative because my creativity has been blocked for so long. Yeah. My expression of creativity has been masked and, I mean, there's so much and so much when I talk to other people, I'm sure, in the podcast that will come out that – that's just another layer is the creativity and how that freedom from being safe to create brings out that childlike person back and in the sense that the woundings being healed and by the, the, the juices and the flow of creativity, it's, you know, it's healing the wounding and it's flowing through it and it's nourishing it and it's loving it and it's um, birthing new parts of yourself and also loving those old and... Um, yeah, it's absolutely beautiful, the the whole process um, in finding mm-hmm. safety and feeling safe and being heard. Um, so, yeah. Mm. So I just want to talk a little bit um, before we wrap up. <laughs> and yeah. I would love to talk <laughs> about your blood witchiness. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> I uh, love the space that you hold for women. Um with with blood and reclaiming our our connection to blood, our blood time, and um, tell me a bit about connecting with that and how that's came out in the work that you do. Mm. Well, I think um, at the end of my four seasons journey, we had this opportunity to present something that had really spoken to us in the course, or or you know bring something that we wanted to share with the women. So. Uh, I, because I had been pregnant and breastfeeding, I hadn't had a bleed the whole time I'd done this four seasons journey. So we talk, you know, about cycles and do all this work with our cycles. And I'm just like, I don't know how to bleed. I'm just breastfeeding. Like I felt a little bit disconnected from that. And so I, I thought, well, I'm reaching this point where my blood's going to come back soon. Like, you know, my baby was almost a year old. I'm like, so, you know, it should be coming back soon. And I really was thinking about how, um, having your blood come back after your baby's born or, you know, is this real opportunity to do it differently? So if you've had an experience of menstruation where you think it's really negative or you think it's a nuisance or you, it's really painful and you're just like, oh, I hate it, like whatever. Um, and, you know, that's a lot of women's experience and that's, that's a valid experience because it can be painful, you know, and it can be something that women just feel a bit ambivalent about and we carry so much internalized shame uh, you know around our bleeding that it's not surprising that lots of people just don't you know feel particularly connected to their blood but I thought you know it's almost like a 
this real opportunity to do differently because your blood's coming back. It's like you're going to see it for the first time. It's like a re-menarch in a way. Um, so I created this ritual to celebrate that. And I still, hadn't, I still wasn't bleeding, and I did this ritual, and I created a tea ceremony around it with different herbs, and, you know, we just made blood charms and did all this beautiful stuff, and it was this magical ritual of building the brew that we were going to drink with blessings. Like, what are the blessings that you would want to um, give yourself, you know, in your blood? So all of those things that maybe you've never said to yourself before and really looking at it as an opportunity to, like, do differently. And after I did the ritual, it was all good. And I, I remember I was like, oh, I drank all this tea. So I went to the toilet and here comes my blood like a torrent, you know, coming through me. So that was pretty cool to kind of go, wow, well, this shit works. Um, I totally <laughs> I just, uh, you know, had that happen. So that was a real catalyst for me to kind of go, wow, okay. I like this. I like this blood stuff. This is really awesome. <laughs> and so that kind of spurred me on to wanting to work with women in that way and really um, bring that magic in, you know, like, let's talk about what's magical blood. Like, let's talk about this. What are the things we can do with our blood? How can we break this stigma of shame? And, oh, I don't want to talk about it. I mean, I had a very like shame ridden, you know, upbringing around this stuff. Like my family didn't really talk about it at all. Um, it just wasn't something that you really talked about. And then, you know, girls in high school are, you know, pretty mean about things. And it, you just remember it being just like a really, and I had a lot of pain, you know, I had a, a really painful periods and heavy blood. And so it was just kind of awful. So really I needed to reclaim this for myself, you know, and I, I had had an experience when I was about 19 of starting to use a menstrual cup and that really changed how I felt about my bleeding. So, you know, once that experience happened and I got to actually touch my blood and use my blood that I had a different relationship with it. Um, but I recognized that, you know, um, that there was just this, this next level that I could take it to, you know, that I could for myself, you know, really, um, exploring this this magic around the blood and and how we can use that. So, a lot of my work has been about connecting um, connecting with that and bringing that information through and creating rituals for women to feel like um, they can have that experience. You know, remenarching in a way, or even just creating a new relationship with their blood and you know smashing that shame that you know we still carry and often we don't even realize we're carrying actually. Um, and doing different rituals and different uh, uh, sessions, you know, with women to try to um, unravel some of these stories that we're carrying and, um, yeah, do it differently, you know, do it differently for ourselves. And then so then we're modeling that for our children, you know, so our next generation will just, it'll just be normal, you know, like I leave my menstrual cup in the bathroom sink and that's where it lives when I'm in the midst of washing it or like, you know, I don't go, Oh no, my kids will see my menstrual cup. I'm like, well, they actually helped me take my blood out to the garden. And actually that's what needs to be happening. If we want to, uh, break down this, uh, hidden aspect of it, you know, like, why do we have to hide these things? It's totally normal. Like half the population of the world is bleeding, like at any given moment, you know, <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's, like it's that, not yeah. actually anything to feel shame about or to be embarrassed about or, to not talk about and you know like uh, fair enough some women are not going to want to like paint blood on their face and walk around like that in public and like that's fine like you do what you feel comfortable with but the level of kind of you know hiding things or 
shame or grossness. Like we just really need to change that conversation, you know, and, it, and it's happening and I can see it happening in all different places. Like in mainstream, it's happening with all this talk about, you know, getting rid of the tampon tax, you know, like that's, that's amazing. That's an awesome thing that's happening. And that's an awesome way to kind of ha- talk about these things you know, to women who might feel really uncomfortable going, hey, let's talk about, you know, smearing menstrual blood on our bodies as a, you know, as a ritual to connect with our wombs. Like some women are going to go like, fuck that. I'm never going to do that. But to go, hey, let's talk about getting rid of the tampon tax. because It's actually really unfair that women are taxed for like necessary products, you know, is another way to kind of break down that shame cycle, even though I think tampons are actually really bad for you, but that's like a whole nother story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I even like, you need to use them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> even like, uh, you know, education and bringing it into mainstream schooling and absolutely um, just normalizing it that way. Um, yeah. And giving people real information, like, yeah. you know, like yeah. telling girls real information about what's happening, like not just being like, you're going to bleed once a month, but like, it's a whole cycle, you know, like you're going to feel differently around the whole cycle and teaching them that and teaching them like, what does it mean to, you know, go through this whole process together and that your blood is actually really like special and magical and a potent substance and it's not garbage. Actually. Yeah. And how, really special. how amazing if uh, women and young men and boys and fathers, you know, a whole plethora of community looked at it in curiosity and awe and magic exactly. as opposed because I mean yep. shame it's it's riddled with shame of course and it's shifting yep. and it's changing and it's people like you that are helping uh, normalize and not just normalize actually put magic into it because Celebrate it is it. magic you know it like we, we we birth and die each month yep. it's it's what a gift yep. to to it's hold that. Actually, such a gift. And so one of the things that I've created to help women do that is I, like, so this idea that when you're on the third day of your cycle, so the third day of your bleeding is this idea that you're on a vision quest in that time. You know, this is like when you're in that really deeply open, receptive space is when the visions come, you know, this is when the, when the information comes through. It's for you. It's for your community. It's for you know, it's for the, for the globe, really, for the whole world. And so I created a drum journey so that women could every, you know, every day three of their cycle, if that's that really, like imagine day three, it's like that really heavy, heavy blood day, you know, like that's, that's what it is for me anyway. And um, that's when I'm totally in that zone of just being in the dream state, like what's going to come through, what visions come through. And what, what came through was to create this drum journey for women to have an experience of being able to each month like check in check in with their wombs check in with you know the their um their visioning capacity and see what comes through for themselves see what comes through for their communities and i like i do that every every month so every day three of my cycle i'm actually day three of my cycle right now and um hello yeah i know for two hello wise one (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I do a journey, I do a journey every month and I just see like, you know, what's happening, what's, what's occurring, what, what needs to come into this space, what information is my body giving me, you know, because ultimately that's what it is. You're just checking in with another aspect of yourself. So it's just this beautiful opportunity to take that time and, um, and do that, you know, have that, have that check in and see what messages come, you know, what, what information is coming to you this month, you know? 
exactly. Holding that space yeah. for yourself, creating, yeah. um, you know, I know I do my absolute best to, um, on my first day of bleed, to just really slow, like, life right down. Yeah. Calendar around then is really quiet. It's restful. It's... Um, I have my ritual bath, I do my, you know, my calling in and all that sort of thing to the best of the ability with what I've got at the time. But I notice a difference in my life and how that sets me up for the next cycle if I yeah. honour that space. And and I really notice what happens if I don't honour that space. Yeah, so I yeah. recently had a five weeks in Canada visiting my family and taking my children home and like, I didn't do any resting. Like, it was very much like a full-on go, 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 going here, going there, everywhere. And, you know, when I was bleeding, it was just like, well, we're just doing the next thing that we're doing on our holiday. So there wasn't really time to just rest. And also, you know, I wasn't in my own space. I didn't, it wasn't in my own bed. It was just kind of like, oh, I don't want to, you know, I'm just going to just, you know, put my cup in, get going, like, just do what I have to do. Because sometimes, you know, we have to actually do that. And I really noticed the, the after effects of pushing through, you know, like just the following cycle, just being like really tired, run down, not as much energy. So like the importance of actually giving yourself that time and space to like, to rest, to really nourish yourself, you know, so like maybe not go on like big gin drinking binges during you know like just like really give yourself that rest and you know maybe not take like an outrageous holiday in that time <laughs> but um yeah so just you, you you pay for it you know if you don't um if you don't look at this stuff it's going to come up so on on a short term every month you know if you're not going to rest during your bleed you're probably going to find that you're quite exhausted later on in your cycle and, like, one time that you do that, you're just going to be a bit tired. But if you continually do that, what's going to actually happen, you know? I mean, I don't know, but we do see a lot of women who just have chronic exhaustion, chronic sort of, you know, hormone imbalances, chronic issues where they just don't have the energy that they need or require to do what they need to do in their lives. And it's just like, well, is it just a symptom of a lifetime of ignoring our cycles and our bodies calling us inward and calling us into rest, you know? And so it's the same kind of thing as on a bigger picture, you know, if we don't look at our stories, if we don't look at our rites of passage and like, you know, what was the story of our menarche? What is the story of our childbirth? Like, and unpack this stuff and figure these things out and figure out like how to do the healing around what's happened in our lives. Like what's going to happen when we get to the end of our life, you know, what are we going to get hit with that we haven't already you know, sort it out. So, you know, it's, it's not, um, it's actually really necessary to, to do this work on a, on a small scale and on a large scale as well. And then on a global scale, you know, mm, yeah. this is, um, imagine if all the women when they were bleeding were resting. Oh my gosh. And imagine then, like in a school, if there was a special like oh. red tent room where, and then all the Every teachers festival. and everyone would be excited for them to come back because they would get to like, talk about their wisdom or share something and could you imagine into I mean, a collective and <laughs> you can make a whole class out so of it amazing <laughs> and then just imagine if you had every every woman who was bleeding doing blood prayers so putting their blood back into the earth re-nourishing her you know because that's ultimately what we need to be doing yeah. we need to be giving our blood back to the earth because all we do is take from her we're not doing a lot of you know like reciprocal energy giving back to her really and so 
giving our blood back to the earth is one way of doing that. It's like, I mean, think about fertilizer, blood and bone, right? Same thing. So if we're giving our blood like back to the earth and nourishing her and doing our prayers like that, I mean, just imagine if we were all doing that. What would yeah. that change yeah. in the world? Yeah. You know, so we actually have this amazing power within us. And there's a lot of women, like, there's actually like a lot of women on this planet. So we've got a lot of potential here to create some massive and amazing change. Yeah. And, and it is happening. You know, we can see it. We can see the bits where it's happening. We can see. So I, I get really excited, actually. Yeah, me too. I just think, you know, yeah. it's. Yeah. This, it feels like there's this real groundswell of, of you know, amazing women fully mm. stepping into their power and rising up and just being like, I actually want a better world for my children, so yep. let's go. I especially yeah. feel that now, you know, as we sit here today, I can feel it uh, just lately. It's happening. Something's really yeah. bubbling and it feels so powerful yeah. and so uh, so honoring and so held and so like then there's rage yeah. and there's all sorts of like yeah valid stuff that's coming up and i'm feeling it um right and that's here, a big right driver now. you know that that's mm. a big driver when you get you know for me like doing the work often can be tiring or it takes me away from home or there's travel involved or sometimes you just get to that point of going oh gosh just go again okay and and then actually you just have that moment to just take that deep breath and it's just like, actually, do you know what? We're actually changing the world here. So yes, I'm going again and I might be really tired and I'm going again. And it is such a driver to see the change that comes. Like when I, when I go out onto the wilderness solo into the camp and I see those women walk out onto their solos and I, I know their stories because they've told them and I see them leaving and then I see these women coming back completely transformed you know, and ready to just take those gifts that they've discovered in themselves and take them out into the world and actually, like, create phenomenal changes in the world. You know, I, like, all I actually have to do is remember that moment and I stop being tired. <laughs> exactly. And how much is that too when they come back and comes back into that right and responsibility to do this work? It's like, it's not like, oh, I have to do this. It's like this deep, yeah. deep knowing that, if I deny this, I'm denying myself, but I'm also denying all my sisters and I'm also denying all my brothers and I'm also denying, you know, the earth and natural systems. I'm denying everything. It's not just about yeah. me. It's it's yeah. bigger than me. Um, and I think that right and responsibility, uh, you know, coming into the the menstruation and the blood and holding women and young girls through that shame stuff, it's like, I can remember being put on the peel at 16 and going through about 10 different types of peel because they all would give me headaches, wow. make me feel sick. And yeah. it was just for acne. I mean, they just put me on the peel because I had acne. And I remember yeah. when I got, oh, I don't know, it's like I was probably near 18 and everyone's like, you don't, you just skip those you know, skip the sugar ones and you don't get to bleed. And I lived in that mind and I know what it was like back then. I was so deeply disconnected from myself, so deeply in shame of my my blood and myself, my body. Um, I mean, there was just so much there that I was living outside of the body that was carrying me and I was using all the – 
all the methods to shut down all those parts about me. So there was no sexual knowing. There was no there was no power at all. I was completely powerless and handed over. Yeah. Now it's like that is my having gone through that experience. If I deny that and deny that feeling and don't do the work um, to sh- to uh, show what. It can be like when you live like that. Um, it's yeah. Again, it's just the denial of all the work that I've done to get here to not talk about that. Yeah. You know, to not talk yeah. about blood rights, to not talk about women's sacred sexuality, and yeah. We have a lot of work to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. I had so much. Uh, so much more I could have been like yeah and this and this and this and I love that I love when I leave this space because I'm just going to put the microphone down when we finish and I'll just feel really connected and really Mm. really great to share that space with you and for you to share your day three wisdom epic timing (laughs) it was a bit epic timing wasn't it (laughs) one thing I just want you to if you can pull out just a little bit more wisdom is to all the women considering the four or eight seasons journey, can you give us a little sentence or something um, from your experience that may help or create a better understanding or a bit of wisdom about it? Yeah. Well, I think if it's something that you've been considering and are feeling unsure about, the only thing I can say is to just do it and to just jump in and, you know, um, you know, in a way, like, feel the fear and do it anyway um, because it's a totally life-changing experience and, and it's wonderful, you know. It's, it's really um, it's connected. It's fun. It's really held. You meet really amazing women. I mean, some, like, I just think the women that I've met over the years of, of sitting in these circles is incredible. You know, where would I have ever met these women otherwise? You know, I wouldn't. And I'm so lucky and grateful to know all of them. And that, you know, if you feel like there's this calling to be with your sisters or in a circle or doing something around work for the women, this is a really amazing place to, you know, either be the first place that you have experienced this work or, you know, or maybe it's like the 10th different thing that you've tried, but to just come and try it because from my experience, it's, um, it's the safest and uh, most held place that I've ever been. And it would be my, you know, be a dream for me to know that every woman could experience to be held the way that I was and the way that I know other women are to be able to, to feel what that feels like to be, so safe in a circle of sisters that we can actually allow transformations to come through. Mm. And how can people connect with you? Is there a way to connect with your work, especially around the blood rites and passages? So I have a website. um, So it's just withinwoman.com.au and I have the same. I'm on Instagram, withinwoman and Facebook. I have a page under my business name and also in my own name. And if you want to know more about the school, I am also um, 
do the admin for the school as well as teaching the Four Seasons journey with Jane. So you can always email me through the school and ask any questions that you might have. And if you go to the school's website, you know, there's lots of instant download things that you can sign up for to get um, information about that. And I'm always really happy to just answer anyone's questions either through email or by phone or, you know, however feels most comfortable. Beautiful. Thank you, Sequoia. Thanks, Sally. For more information on today's Inner Review with photos and how to connect, head over to schoolofshamanicwomancraft.com forward slash media forward slash podcast. Subscribe to our podcast via iTunes and all good podcast players. We are all in this together.